Hello everyone, how you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos. This is a conversation that uh, we've been trying to have for quite some time, and I think as anybody listening can relate, there's this thing called life, and uh, things happen, and you know, this has other variables besides just life. We have time zone differences, so for those that can't see, I'm in my nerd Lego lab uh, as my family is undergoing still sleep, preparing for the day as my guest is on the other side of the day, so to speak. And she's not worried about waking up and trying to uh, make sense of the world, probably trying to bring some closure and be like, I survived another day. Uh, And so as we get into this, I'm super thrilled and honored to uh, be able to speak with the guest today. She has some phenomenal thoughts, ideas, and experience when it comes to project-based learning, but I would even expand that beyond to just just quality learning in general, because I think sometimes even the word project-based learning does something to people's brains. And so it's it, it's more than that, but I know that's the world that we both both live and breathe in here a little bit. So I'm talking about none other than the awesome uh, Lonnie and Lisa. Who, let's start off with just who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you have going on? Oh, that's a... <laughs> That's that no could small be, question to start yeah, with. That could be the that could be the whole <laughs> podcast right there. Right. Well, yeah, thanks so much for for this conversation. And I'm yeah, I'm sorry it took so long for us to get here, but um, but really happy to be talking with you today. Um, yeah, I'm Lonnie Belkvist, and uh, I've been working with project-based learning in schools for the last 10 years or so, but before that, I was a teacher in the USA. Um, taught for several years at just normal traditional middle schools in California, and then ended up stumbling on High Tech High, which is a bit world-renowned now for project-based learning and authentic learning in general. Um, Was there for eight years, and then, uh, yeah, transitioned into helping schools do project-based learning. But I think the the, the bigger thing that we work with is really this kind of whole school transformation effort. So we use project-based learning as a catalyst for change in practice, but we also work a lot on changing the culture of schools, changing the organization of schools, um, and really seeing school as like a holistic development process. So that's what I've been doing the last decade or so. And now I'm in Denmark. My husband is Danish and have a company called Imagine If, um, where we really work with schools on this important work every day. I love it. And and you have that unique perspective that most of us in general don't have in the education field of you've been able to be an educator in some different experiences from public to high tech high and then now you you've also you know skipped upon so to speak and you get to to work with with schools and education you know in in another country in another context and I'm sure there are Lots of similarities and and also probably I would say differences as well. I'm a, I'm assuming because I haven't done it, so I shouldn't put words in your mouth. But I you know maybe maybe start there a little bit. I mean, in terms of you hit something that I think is really important um, that I think sometimes people get wrong when they're like, I'm interested in project based learning. Like that that I would say in my world that's like a request I get. Like we want to figure that out. And if you really start to push them on the idea of like, well, let's take a look at our our learning space, 
Um, and by space anymore, I'm talking about not just the physical space, but the mental emotional space, which is basically, I guess, just a different way of saying, let's look at our culture, um, mm -hmm. things of that nature. That's nine times out of 10, while project-based learning ends up failing or people get frustrated with it. So I'm interested, as you're talking that kind of whole school thing, what are some of those those other elements that maybe we should be thinking about that sometimes I feel like we we kind of jump the gun a little bit and go, give me a really project so I get kids excited and we're not thinking about maybe some other elements first. Yeah, well, I, I mean, for sure, the experiences that you're talking about are consistent with mine. And the first couple of years that I was doing this, I was working with a group in England called the Innovation Unit. And we thought at that time that it was just about training teachers. So we put together these really like, incredible training workshops. We had all of these materials. Like we really took best practice from high tech high and said, okay, how do we help people do this? And while the training worked fine, as soon as people went back to their own context, they were just hitting wall after wall after wall. So they were hitting colleagues who were saying things like, oh, kids can't learn in PBL or kids who have special needs are just gonna drown in project-based learning. Um, they were hitting organizational issues. So when you've got to change classes every 45 minutes and you've got a new group of kids, like it's really difficult to do deep learning. And so we were doing these training programs and then going back into the schools and just seeing how everything would revert completely back to normal, even though teachers were really inspired and excited to do project-based learning. And the next iteration of that work actually happened here in Denmark, where the leader of this foundation that I was at was very much um, a business guy and a change management business guy. And his idea was how about changing the, the idea around PBL to be practiced, but also a lot of theories around just organizational change. And when you're looking at organizational change, you are normally looking at not just the content of what people are doing, but you're also looking at the time that people have to do things. As you said, Aaron, that, that mental space to actually create a change and to learn new patterns and to unlearn the habits that we have. Right. Um, you're also looking at a lot of mindset shifts. I mean, to do something different, you really have to change your behavior and your thinking patterns along with that. So um, I think one of, there are definitely some consistent themes across all of the schools that we work with that have emerged with project-based learning. But I think just starting from the beginning and having that mindset that this is more than a practice or it can be more than a practice if we really wanna shift the experience that kids have, just starting project-based learning with that mindset creates a different space for those conversations to happen. But I would say that the culture of schools generally is not really aligned to this. You know, right. every year there's kind of a new initiative, there's an introduction of a new technology, there's kind of a flavor of the year type thing. And people try it for a little bit without putting much strategy or resources behind it. And then in a year or two, it goes away. And a lot of people are just waiting out the next wave of things to come through. So to do project-based learning in a way that's really sticking and lasting for kids, we really have to discard a lot of those experiences that we have in school around these processes that are initiated all the time. So one of the biggest things we tell schools from the beginning, we don't tell, but we advise, is to really think about this at minimum of a five-year development project. 
And if you really want to make this stick and this just becomes the way that we do school, the time is also really crucial in aligning that from the beginning with everybody, not just leadership teams, but also with, with teachers and students, parents, everybody that's involved. Yeah. I mean, as you, even there at the end, you're talking five years and I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's, I mean, easy. That's, that's what it takes just for the, the, the space for people to breathe, to understand that their each of their journeys can be unique. And I think that's something that's really missing. And I don't know if it's just because of antiquated systems. I mean, mm -hmm. I could go the tried and true. Yes, we still have this industrial revolution model that everyone likes to spew. And I know there's truth to that, but you know, we got a little bit of that. We've got the bells. I mean, there's some things that we know that we could, we could rethink, but to me, one of the biggest things that that I'm finding, and I'm curious, is you're because you're looking at more whole system change, and and I don't always live and breathe in that world. I usually am starting more organic, maybe with a grade level or a teacher, and then how do we start to build things vertically and build some momentum? A kind of different approach, just with the nature of my job. But that that I'm going to call it permission mm. that our educators can be allowed to be at different stages of mindset and development in this journey, just like we expect them to be able to differentiate for their students. And I don't know if it's, uh, I don't really have it framed as a question here for you. It's more of an observation, or maybe it's some insight. How do you go about creating? I mean, some of that I know comes down to culture. So I know there's not like, oh, well, you know, here, we're going to use this framework and now everything's magical because I think some of this is a human condition, but that yeah. seems to be a really vital piece that's really hard for schools to grasp that I might be here and this group might be here and this group might be over here and it's all okay. No one's better than the other. It's, it's just where we are and why can't that be okay? Mm -hmm. versus we all must be doing this at the same time because this is easier for us to manage. Yeah, I, it's a great provocation. And I mean, in a lot of ways, um, I would say some of it comes down to leadership, this idea of walking the walk around project-based learning. So if you're trying to support your teachers in moving away from this one-size-fits-all mentality and more personalizing learning experiences for kids, then in some ways we have to also create a place for that as leaders. We need to model that every day. We need to talk about how we have a place for everybody in this and still maintain this kind of culture together and working towards a greater purpose. So I think a lot of that does come from leadership. Um, there is something around a, a frame, framework having to do with first movers and having to do with people that are a bit more resistant in a change process. And I think having just, well, it's not a, you know, by the book type situation, right. I think having just some knowledge from the start that you will have people in any process that are going to be super excited. They're not going to need a lot. They're going to just fly with this. And they're going to be the ones that really do a lot of the problem solving in your own context around how this works. And then you're going to have some people that are on the other end of that spectrum who might never find their way in this for various reasons. And I do think, Erin, that you've hit something really important. These are not horrible people. These are right. not people that are trying to disrupt something or they're trying to you know, be resistant. People can be resistant to change for so many reasons. And my experience is that 90% of those situations have nothing to do with the change itself. 
So people who are a bit resistant to project-based learning, it's not project-based learning, it's kind of everything around it. People can also be going through, you know, things at home, they can have stress in their life that has nothing to do with work. And it creates a really um, difficult situation to change just generally. So that, that idea of not looking at those people as villains in the story, but actually as people that are, are in a certain place in time, you know, as themselves, I think is really helpful. And then, you know, everybody in between, usually they just need something a little bit different. A lot of them with project-based learning specifically, like they need to see it. They need to see it in the classroom next door, or they need to go to a school that's practicing where they have that aha moment and they're like, oh, that's what you're talking about. Um, and then some of them just need time, you know, the, the ability to actually spend a few years letting that seed think, sink in around, okay, I'm going to need to shift some of what I do. Like that can also be just enough actually to get people along in this process. So there has to be a place for everybody. I, I, I really believe that, but also I think that, um, we are walking the walk with PBL. I mean, you don't just run a project as a teacher and you say, all right, well, half of my kids are going to get this and the other half, I'm just going <laughs> to forget about them. Like, no, yeah, <laughs> we, we are master facilitators of a process. And in some sense, that's what we're asking school leaders to be, you know, as well with their staff. Yeah, I mean, I love that. It's, it's such a foundational issue or that's not even an issue, just a reminder about life, right? Like just recognizing that we're, we're, we're all humans and we're more than our job, even though oftentimes in education, the job, I would say in education really, it's it's not, I shouldn't say, not just a job. It, for many people, it becomes a way of life. And mm -hmm. so therefore it can easily consume a lot of your emotions and your hours and all the things because you just, you are passionate. But if you're not willing to jump on the boat and do cartwheels along with it right away, you know, like how do we respect that and 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 get get to know that and comes back to another concept of relationships, right? Like how well do we know our people to be able to understand maybe why there is some pushback or resistance? And just I'm, I'm you brought up a really important piece that I've been grappling with in my head. Like I see it nine times out of ten, really has nothing even to do with education in general. Like it's it's something else, like you said, something personal. Or I see like just scared to give themselves permission. Um, sometimes it's a, just a lack of confidence. They don't believe that they can do it. Like they believe that they know they're good teachers, but that part seems a little out there. Um, which to segue a little bit, you know, you talked about doing the project or seeing the project. And it reminds me of um, a guy I like, and I'm sure you'll recognize the name, Jeff Robin. You know, his he's got a million podcast and things about that like you got to do the project first and he's not the only one that says that but um every time i talk with him i feel like we always bring that concept up and yeah. i'm so I'm, I'm i'm curious to then on, on your work too like is that also seems to be like an obvious thing like let's do it first before we springboard it upon kids and that seems to be crazy difficult to pull off i have tried a million different ways outside of those that are like we talked about you know usually in your system you got that 10 to 20 percent that will jump in and go and you got about that 70 percent that want to but they want to see it work first and then they're completely on board and then you know then you have your this a small population that maybe is just fighting the change but to whether it's i mean time is always in the essence of everything but trying to help people be like take a year 
take a semester and just do your idea first and then figure that out and then do it in another year is like impossible to to get that off the ground but it eliminates when i've been able to successfully help people kind of try that that way it's amazing how their mind just completely opens to new levels you know which is project-based learning why why we do it in the first place but like like have you what have you found in terms of success to get whether it's a system or maybe it's individuals whatever to to really say you know what that makes sense like i should do it first well yeah i mean what one thing is just creating that space so you know when when we're called in to do a workshop i think people expect that we are just you know as somehow pbl experts and i put that in quotation marks because right, i think right. majority of us would agree that there is no real expert in project-based learning there's variations of experience but um but we're all still learning you know we're, right. we're all, all learners um but you know that that we actually talk to the leadership team about instead of having us come and just like fill knowledge in people's heads like why don't we create an experience or why don't we have teachers come with the project idea and materials and create a prototype of what it is that they're thinking about so we can of course facilitate that process but we're getting to a point now where if we actually feel like the time is better spent for schools to be using that time on something that we will actually say to leadership teams, like, don't have us in, please <laughs> use that money for resources, build a prototype, create a space for teachers to actually do that. Um, happy to come and help if you need it. But, but honestly, like it's more important that that time is being used in something that can be also replicated, you know, time after time. So sometimes just the invitation to have teachers start that process is enough for them to have that aha around, wow, this was actually really helpful. And then they prioritize that in the planning process, you know, the next time they're starting to plan a project. But I think just getting the foot in the door, so to speak, around creating those kind of opportunities for teachers is really important. Um, but also, in some ways, you know, the culture, now we're back to culture of teachers, but yeah. we, we see collaboration a lot as sitting around a table, you know, with a Google document open, taking notes and making decisions about things. But the real kind of collaboration we need to model as teachers is actually that, that making, that creation, uh, that hands-on kind of experience. And I think whatever we can do to create more experiences where we're walking the walk around project-based learning is going to trickle down, excuse me, is going to trickle down to our kids. Um, but I think doing it, getting teachers into it to start, having them see actually how helpful this is for planning, but also understanding what creation is, what that process is, um, is, is a huge help. And I think you're right, Erin, time is always an issue. Like, no matter how great that process is, a lot of teachers will say we don't have time. So I think anything that leadership teams can do to help teaching teams kind of reimagine that time, where do we need that time? Is it before a project starts? Is it while a project is running? Is it after a project to reflect on it? Do we need to have one hour meetings every week? Or do we need to also reimagine actually the proportion of that time depending on what's needed in the project. 
And I would say that's kind of next level PBL. Like I don't think a lot of schools at the start are ready to really throw up <laughs> planning time in the <laughs> right, air. Right, um, right. But, but if you really want to start looking at the organization of schools responding to the needs of learning, then that also matters for how teachers are planning and what time they need in order to do that. So probably a bigger conversation than we have now, but um, but really important. And I think if we want to prioritize the experiences like Jeff Robin talks about, we have to also create those spaces for, for teachers, which is different from how it functions in a lot of places. Yeah, gosh. And even as you, every time you talk, my brain just goes a million directions. Like as you're talking about that, like that, that intentionality, and I know it's next level and there's a lot of pieces I have to come together first, but I just had a, a friend of mine who was a phenomenal educator and for personal reasons, no longer in education and is doing this new work with uh, computer programming and a bunch of things that even I don't understand. But the reason that I'm bringing that into this this fold of this conversation is uh, I, I met up with them and I was like, how's it going? Like this, because it's hard to leave education, your heart's in it, you miss the kids, all those types of things. And, and those things were still hold very true for him. But he was like, there's, there's, he's like, this is crazy how much I love my job because like, I'm also getting paid to learn. Like, like they're in education, right? We do the majority of our learning on the weekends at nights, early mornings. I mean, I know there's PD and, but it's, you know, kind of like herding cats, right? We're going to bring everybody together and we're going to all do this one thing and it might maybe apply to a few people. And, and that's, that's no knock to leadership. There's lots of things that they're required to do. And so it's just part of the, the model of education itself that kind of creates this. And I, as you were talking, I'm like, man, how awesome would it be? Because to have that like intentional time, like for learning in the day, and it just doesn't exist. I mean, I, my wife's an educator and yes, she has, I'm going to call them prep periods, but I often joke and say in a prep period, teachers don't even have time to fart and drink a Pepsi anymore. Like, because it's just doesn't, you're, you're actually don't have time to prep. It's, it's consumed by, meetings and whatever else goes on and so uh i just think that like this bigger picture right if we think about stuff where's that intentionality where almost like teachers and, and admin get a class period that they get to like learn and mm -hmm. you know and, and do that making and exploring or whatever that might be and um you know that's that perfect utopian world that uh i think we all we we all would love uh for sure yeah i i don't i mean I think there's there's some countries that are getting closer to prioritizing real deep learning for teachers and you know Denmark is one of them and the first time I was here I heard about a teacher who was taking like three weeks off to go to this course and she would spend like half the day at the course and then the next half the day like doing reading and you know kind of synthesizing everything yeah. that she was taking in and I thought three weeks like this is insane like how can you possibly have three weeks away from your classroom like I couldn't understand it um, but actually things like that are, are becoming more normalized here in Denmark, at least, mm. because I think there is a greater recognition that in order to really learn and to develop as a teacher um, or any educator, I mean, we need not only the time during the day, but we need the headspace to do that. And when you're in a situation where you're in your office and going to be called out by a million kids because they need something, I mean, it's, 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 
it's not only the, the demands of the time, but it's also the demands just mentally yes. um, every day. So I, my, I'm hopeful that there's more countries moving in that direction. But of course, I think teaching right now is, is I don't want to use the word crisis, but absolutely in a very critical situation um, around what people are able to take on and handle at this moment. I mean, you would know better than I would, like in the States, for example, but it's everywhere. We're hearing this all over the world. So um, so I, I'm, again, hopeful that we can find our way, but I, I really think that the prioritization of time and space for teachers to not only do things, but think about things is something we we have to make a priority. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, we talk about that and, and not speak on, on bleak and dire times, but there really is something going on. And uh, I mean, yes, we can all point everything to to COVID. And I was actually just speaking with uh, another lady who works in the public health, health sector. And we were talking about all the unfortunate things of COVID. There was a great opportunity, especially in education, but I'm assuming it happens in other industry sectors as well that I don't live and breathe in. We had a, a free pass to reorganize, reshuffle, and actually put into place the ways of practices and culture that we've all talked about for so long. And I would say in education, in general, I'm stereotyping and throwing all education into one big clump because I know it's not true everywhere, but for the majority of people or schools, I feel like we almost ended up going backwards and we we went, we lost a lot of momentum that was happening out of fear, out of the six feet of spacing, the lack of sub. I mean, there was variables. I don't think it was no one went on their chart paper and said, you know what, let's, let's go backwards. But I think things happened that way. Um, but now we're starting to feel the effects of that of just assuming we could go back to normal or as we had done things. And now we're starting to really see a kickback in the, the mental, the emotional state, not just the students, but, but educators and admin. And so I feel, I'm hopeful that we start to respond to the human condition and go, okay, what are we gonna do? And maybe there's still this, this, I'm optimistic that we go, okay, we do need to rethink the the system at large um, because we're losing great people. And what do you do when you turn around and there's no one in the, in the pool to even hire because no one's even going into the job. And um, it's not because, I mean, the job is challenging, but it's not, a, it's not terrible work, but right now we're, we're, we're not careful. We're, we're losing people. So I'm hopeful that it's kind of hitting this low point to force people who have more influential power in the system to go, you know what, maybe we do need to rethink how we do some stuff. And uh, so anywho, that's my, my soapbox rants of what I'm hopeful <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the space of time. Um, but I want to I want to segue to another concept because um, I'm really interested on your take on this. It's my latest fascination of the learning process, and I'm currently running a a project that's got several schools from all over, um, and I am fortunate enough to be able to kind of house out of one school as my homestead to keep my feet grounded in the the demands of the of what teachers go through to help me really craft these to support all schools. One of the things that I've always kind of known, but man, it's really just sitting heavy on my mind in a good way of pondering, heavy 
something in the negative context is this idea of like problem solvers versus like problem identifiers. Mm -hmm. And in this particular thing, we're at a, a, a the stage of the process. We've got our driving question. We've set the stage, all the, the things of, of PBL, but the kids are in the driver's seat and they have to come up with the problem that they actually want to solve within these creative constraints. And the more I do this work, that I see is becoming the most difficult part of this entire process for the learner. The identification of a problem or a question, however we want to frame that. Um, and I'm curious, like, what do you see? I mean, you have experience both in the classroom and helping schools and all over. Like, how do we, I don't know if it's help them or or maybe it's just help me in my, in my education therapy session here with you today, uh, because it's, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this piece because once it happens, they're completely in charge and then the excitement moves and yes, we have the learning pits, but that is so like, we've been living in this phase for a couple of weeks and it's so hard to grasp. So I'm just curious on your observations or when you're working with schools or helping people get projects off the ground, like just anything, thoughts, responses, answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really, I really appreciate the the dilemma because um, actually when we first came to Denmark, uh, just to back it up a step, you know, we were working with a lot of schools on PBL, obviously, and a lot of them were really questioning this idea of whether the teacher should be the one that comes up with the driving question. They were saying, you know, that's that's fine, you know, for a teacher to come up with it, but we really believe that in order to increase student ownership and to really help kids feel like they're the ones diving into the meat of this, that the kids should be the ones that were coming up with that question. And um, I have to say, I cringed for a number of years because I thought, yes, but then we lose, you know, kind of this community feeling and, and we're not kind of going on this inquiry together. And, and it really grinded against a lot of my more mm. classic PBL thinking, I would yeah. say. Um, and I think I've come, I've reconciled it a bit now where I've come to a point where uh, the way that, that I work with schools is that we come up with a driving question together. And then underneath that driving question, we do have kids sort out for them what is the thing that they want to solve and, and really want to come into this big question with a lens in. Um, I don't know that I have a lot of like concrete ideas around how to get kids to that place of really oh, sure, sure. a question. But but what I want to say is that I think that my my nuanced understanding now of project-based learning is that it, it should have room for both that there should be an opportunity for teachers to frame a driving question that gives meaning to a product and an audience and, and really kind of has everybody come along. But I have also seen this potential and power in kids really defining their own question within it. So I wanna say that I acknowledge and grapple with the same kind of wondering about that, but also that I have seen just incredible projects where kids have really taken that ownership. I know one thing that's helped here is 
Um, some of the schools that we work with, they don't just do an entry activity or like a kickoff of a project, but they follow a model that was developed by XP School in the UK, which is actually to do an entire hook week, they call mm-hmm. it. So every week um, to start the project, every day there are experiences, activities, uh, challenges that kids are faced with in order to go deeper into this bigger driving question. But also that at the end of those experiences, there is a returning back to, okay, now what do you have a question about? What is it that sparks you today? What is it that you want to inquire about or solve within this framework? So I think one of the things is just the more experiences within it, like give kids a different framework, not just in their head, but maybe also on their body. And they see different connections in like a whole week of these activities versus like an isolated one. Um, But that's just like a very random thing that I think I've seen actually lead to kids taking a bit easier time in framing their own question. Um, Yeah. But you might be interested to know, Erin, that in, in Denmark, in ninth grade, all of the kids actually, they take exams. And one of the exams they take is called a project task. And so in ninth grade, they actually have a whole examination for a week, which is that kids actually design their own question. Mm-hmm. They do their own research, they come up with their own product, and then they present as part of their exam, like what it is that they've learned throughout this process. So there is a huge focus here in Denmark on, on helping kids actually come up with those questions because they need it for an actual examination to pass, you know, pass their schooling. Um, again, don't know if that's super helpful for your specific situation, but no. Um, but definitely, I think the world and, and project-based learning in general is, is shifting into including this space where kids are actually also coming in with their own questions and their own things they want to solve. I love that. That's to me, that's that's so exciting. And like it almost gives me like goosebumps to think about like right there is 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 part of a shift, right? In the education system of because those are the skills that you know, not everything about school is to get a job, but I mean, I have three children and I also, I, I love them dearly, but I also don't want them living in my house forever either. Um, so employment you got is- got a nice basement there. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. You know, so employment is important. And I think those are the skills that regardless of, you know, you read all the data on how many different jobs they're going to have and this, that, and the other, like, you know, the anybody can teach the kids the content or, you know, in the industry, they'll, they'll, they'll train you to what they need you to know, but you've got to have the, the skill sets to be able to process that and work with others and, and all that. And so that is super intriguing um, to me as I'm just thinking about our system here in the U.S. and just, you know, where, where are those opportunities to, to see some of that? And, you know, as I'm, and I, as I think through that, it comes back to our earlier conversation on just providing that space um it's really interesting we we piloted this particular project last year in one classroom um now there's there's two sections in this school but we've got 25 classrooms from all over the world participating so we've got teachers at various levels and this question development phase i'm i'm constantly reminding people like it feels like nothing's happening mm-hmm. but there's so much happening right now and once like this, this reiteration of they don't know what they don't know. And it's also not our job to go in and tell them like, nope, 
you need to rethink that. Like they had that, that's part of that discovery, that, that ownership of we had just had to talk with the kids yesterday is we're using um, like project canvas boards from like agile and scrum and they're in charge. Like they've got the post-its and there's their first run. So the words are, they're too grandiose, right? Like they're going to what are we going to do? Research. Well, what does that mean? And, but we, the, you know, I was like, just, we got to step back and let them put all the things on there because they don't know what they don't know. And we need to take pictures of this. And then as we work through, they're going to realize actually what we say research is actually probably about five subtasks that go into, but they don't know that. Like they haven't had that conversation or that awareness. They just, they've heard the word, you know, they've, they've heard the word by teachers and schools and parents, but what does that actually mean? And so just trying to chart their, how they're thinking is to me, the learning journey is always more important than the product, you know, I, no matter how amazing it looks or how crappy it looks, it's here's where we started and here's where we ended up. And that's the, the wow to that, but man, that just giving them space to marinate. And, mm-hmm. and I like that, that almost like launch week, something mm-hmm. we've been doing. I mean, the, the beauty of, of COVID has been, there's so many experts now that you can bring in via zoom. Like most people don't think twice about it. Like, it was it was always there, but now people I think are way more willing to jump on and do a thirty minute call, forty five minute call, and we've been doing a lot of that. Just like, hey, here's another voice, and they share something. Let's go back. We need to change it, you know, and just kind of like we don't we don't know the things either as the educators, and so it's just again that rethinking of how we use that classroom space, knowing that it's going to save us with behaviors and sustain inquiry if they truly own the learning. Yeah. I love, I love many of the things that you're talking about there. I mean, the, the whole idea of, of the process, right. I mean, that can be just like the, the acquisition of knowledge in the project, but that can also be the way that we shift, you know, our own learning processes. So this idea of diving into what is research. I mean, if a kid walks out of an eight week project with, with a nuanced understanding of a research process, I mean, that is huge. That is yeah, like right, right. something we work for years and years <laughs> on. Right. And some of us as adults still have challenged by that. So like, There is something to, I think, being able to unpack that within project-based learning, we are actually asking kids to learn so much more Mm -hmm. than we are asking them in in kind of a normal classroom where they're going front to back in a textbook. So that's not even considering all of the things around collaboration, around, you know, thinking critically, like... uh, you know, you know, I'm preaching. Right, to right, right. But I mean, th- those types of things, I mean, they, they require a space and they also take up space. So I know like in, in schools, we also have this kind of busy culture around, you know, instructional minutes and kids need to be doing something from bell to bell and it needs to be structured all the time. But as adults, I mean, as you said, your friend, I mean, he was saying how he actually has space to sit and think and learn. And somehow I feel like we're still afraid of that. In yeah, school. Right. Like it's going to erupt into some kind of chaos that where we can never get kids back if we have 10 minutes where we're actually not structuring the time or having an outcome or, or whatever. But as humans, like we need that and we, we need an opportunity to sit with things and let things marinate as you've talked about. So um, I think project-based learning can give a space for a lot of those opportunities, but we also have to be willing to challenge some of those like things we've just been trained, (laughs) trained to look for, trained to structure and say, okay, but 
do I really need to be afraid of that? Or is that just something that I've been conditioned to be? So I, mm. I, I really love how you're thinking about it. And also um, actually look forward to understanding more of your thoughts around how to help kids into those questions. Yeah, yeah. You just said the word condition and I, I make sure I'm respectful of your time because I feel like I could just keep taking your your ideas and talking to you all day long. And I know we, know we got to get going, but like you're talking about conditions and it makes me think about... I see it uh, in myself. I see it in my own children. I see it in the educators I work with, as well as students. You see it everywhere. This, like these invisible rules that we think exist, but they really don't. And so I, I was working with some educators this summer in another state, and we were we went through an immersion experience of a, of a project where like you're going to be a student for four days, and then the last day we're going to put our teacher hat on and figure out how this works. And like all you're going to do is be a kid. So we fast forward we do all those things and they talk about all these things of why it may not work and you know it was like okay so let's pull up your handbook like where, where where does it state you actually can't do that like let's like where does that exist and get into this like not that it's easy we're not asking you to go rogue and rebel and all that but like there are self-imposed rules we put in place due to tradition due to things that we assume and it's just like you said like i think if we you could do some of that of giving people space we can do some of these things where the conversation actually we had yesterday was we're going to have groups at all various stages but at some point in this process they will kind of converge to the same path like we're going to have we've got groups ready now to start thinking about building some mini prototypes of their solutions. We've got groups that can't even figure out how to even begin to think about how to craft a question. And we've got people everywhere in between and that's okay. Like, and so this is the part of the, the management piece where we got to allow them to just go do. And some of those groups are going to feel like they're so far ahead they're, but they'll hit a snag somewhere. They might be really good planners. And then all of a sudden to bring the idea to life, well, that's a whole nother ball of wax for them. But these people who can have a hard time processing how to like formulate the problem, once they've got it, boy, they've got maybe skill sets and the the build or the creation of the idea just goes quicker. Like, yeah. and trying to get people to understand that pacing and cadences were all over. But at some point we do get this parallel at the end of like, we've all, we, we've all been on this journey, you know, and I think that's uh, just a really key piece. You talk about conditions. I'm thinking about those invisible rules and again, sort of that, that restructuring of, of our minds, not just, I can't go in as an educator, right. And say, I'm going to bust down this wall and I'm not going to listen to these rules. I mean, those are the things that we can't do, but we can change some of the barriers between our ears. You know, I think you just outlined perfectly what we were talking about earlier with like looking at from a management perspective or leadership perspective, you know, the journey that different teachers go on in this. I mean, but but was something that you said that I think is really critical is being able to look at groups of kids or groups of people and say, like, what can they do? How can they come into this? Yes. Like, what is it that they can actually thrive in? Even though they're challenged by this now, it doesn't mean that they're challenged by the whole thing, right? So being able to work from a strengths-based perspective, I think with human beings is, is a gift, but I think in the classroom, like it's a totally different way to come to your struggling groups rather than say, you're going to struggle through the whole thing. It's like, well, no, here's a little hurdle. And now look at these 
you know, look at these ways that you can actually fly. So I, I love that kind of analogy also about how at some point they come together because they always do. Yeah. Like that's the crazy thing. <laughs> they always do. But I think in that it's that, that community and that culture, right? So yeah. those first movers, like, you know, the kids kind of see that and it can help pave a way yeah, yeah. other ways in which groups can actually pave the way for other groups. And um, that community becomes really important then to be able to, to share and give feedback, but also to, to feel like they're in it together in some way. So yeah, yeah. beautifully explained. I love it. Way to connect the dots. Yes. I like that. I'm going, yeah. We just came full circle. I love it. So, <laughs> well, I think it's also a good place here, you know, so uh, as we think about coming to a close, you've got so many phenomenal ideas and we'll definitely make sure we get a chance here for people to, to learn more about your work and, and your thoughts. But, you know, as we wrap this up, is there, are there any ideas floating around in your brain or thoughts that we didn't maybe get to in the conversation that you want to make sure that, you know, for those listening in and, and, and hearing this awesome conversation is very thought provoking um, that we didn't get across that you would like to, to add before, before we wrap this up. Well, I think one thing that's just kind of struck, struck me, I think, and, and something that we're always just grappling with, I would say as an organization is really, how we continue to see project-based learning as a catalyst for change, not the change itself. Mm. Um, I think we we often use this, this terminology that PBL is a vehicle to something else, right? So the goal is never project-based learning. The goal is actually student engagement or working with you know 21st century skills or really empowering kids or um, creating more meaning for kids in school you know there's something else that we're driving towards mm -hmm. and so when we talk about like this kind of whole school transformation we're not talking about that just to support pbl we're talking about that because it's in service of this greater thing that we're actually trying to achieve and so I think that um, why that's important for me to say always is just that I think we can get really caught up on project-based learning specifically. And, you know, we also have a fear that PBL is going to be the, the flavor of the week and, and it will go away and everyone will look back and say, oh, remember the 2020s when everyone tried <laughs> PBL and that was hilarious. And now here we are exactly where <laughs> we right. started. Um, so I think the, the reason why we choose to really work on this holistic um, perspective around project-based learning is because we, we don't want it to be that. You know, we've had experiences like you where kids have just been completely um, excited by school, but also where school has meant something to them and learning has meant something to them, uh, which is really powerful. So that's what we're constantly driving for, but we know we can't really achieve that without looking at things holistically and being in service to something else. So it's always just really important in conversations around project-based learning for me to include that because um, there's, there's so many people doing this incredible work. And also we need to keep pushing the idea that we really are driving for transformation. That's, that's our end goal at least. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that right there. Um, because it's not a thing. Um, it's yeah. not something you put in on top of everything else that you're doing. And it doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater because 
you're going to do this, it doesn't mean that the other things have to go away either. And I, I'm so, so thankful that you said that because I think that's where the frustration hits in a lot of people. They feel like they have to let go. And sometimes we do, but like, it's, 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 it's just one piece of this bigger puzzle. It's not mm -hmm. the puzzle itself. Um, and so uh, that's, it's, it's so spot on. And that almost just needs to be uh, a part two episode, uh, you know, in all our free time. Yeah. But no, I think that that is a, a key crucial thing to to keep in mind and, and, and to definitely end on. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's that's definitely uh, something to work to, to chew on for people who are getting started or in the middle of it or thinking about from a leadership angle. What does this look like? How's it pieced together? It's, you know, it's. It's, it's about something much, much grander than just, hey, we're doing PBL, check. Like that's that's the wrong mindset to have. Um, yeah. And so thank you for, for sharing that. Sure. This has been absolutely phenomenal. I I can't wait to actually go back and, and listen and edit and, <laughs> and have new inspiration and, and process my own thoughts. It's, it's always such a joy to read your work. Now I get to to hear your work and this, this conversation. And so if people want to know more about you and the work that you're doing, or just gather more of, of, of hearing your thoughts and journey through, through the work that you do, as well as life and that people know to check the show notes, I'll get them all in there, but, but where can people find you um, if they want to learn more? Cause I'm sh guarantee you're going to have some people uh, joining in to uh, following your journey and, 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 and thinking. Well, LinkedIn is probably the best place, like personally to connect. Um, yeah. And I'm just there under Lonnie Belkvist. And then also our, our website is imagineif.dk, uh, which also just includes a bit around our perspective. And we, we try to share as much as possible. So everything is open source. Uh, nothing is, uh, uh, yeah, at this point, everything is open source. So we very much are just wanting to share and learn and grow along with the schools that we work with, because we're not probably ever finished in that journey. Right. The work's never done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. This has been, been, been so powerful and uh, I appreciate all that you do. Thank you for having me. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.